Amen, amen, amen. Welcome to Lake Avenue Church. So glad that you're with us, either right now live or in the days ahead. Uh, Before we jump into our text and the sermon today, I want to bring you uh, some updates about the life of Lake Avenue Church, because yesterday was just too good for you not to know about. We're going to show some pictures, because our student ministries had a thing called Sprinter Camp yesterday. Uh, spring and winter coming together. It took me about a month to figure out what that meant. But sprinter camp was yesterday. Our campus was full of students. There's, in fact, still snow uh, outside on the lawn. Uh, but it was an incredible day uh, for our students to be able to be on our campus with their community. In fact, I met students yesterday who would say Lake Avenue Church is their church, but it was their first time on campus because God brought them to Lake Avenue during this season of quarantine. And I want you to know I have a lot of hope. I know that there's a lot of uh, chatter about the next generation, but what I saw yesterday was a group of students passionate about learning about God, worshiping God, and being in community together. Our volunteers throughout the church, young and old, um, our parents who were able to have a few hours away from some of their students yesterday, our volunteers who lead small groups, our staff. Um, I am blown away. I am grateful. And I need you to be proud of your church, Lake Avenue, because our kids are loved deeply. Uh, It was a wonderful, wonderful day. I also need to let you know that we actually have people in front of me today. This is wonderful. We'll see how this goes. Uh, They're masked up, so if I'm funny, I'll never know. So there's really no difference. Uh, But we are running a series of pilots. We started last week. We have one this week. And I really need you to be in tune for our Friday update this week because I believe it will be fairly comprehensive as to what coming back and inside our campus looks like. Let me give you some talking points. Uh, Let me be very clear with you because I know during this whole quarantine, there have been all kinds of talking points from all kinds of churches in the way that they are uh, sensing God's call for them. And we are uh, no different. We've been very, uh, tried to be very clear as to how we see all of this. So let me be super clear. We have a near-term plan to start gathering back inside of our worship center for worship services. That's near-term. Now what we're doing last week and this week and next week are testing a few things, seeing how people come in, what it takes to leave, how the seating will happen, because it will be a little bit different. Although on the news this morning I heard there's some really, really good news. Uh, Maybe we'll be back in fullness sooner than than we might be able to imagine. So we're running those pilots right now, but, but here's our hope. Our hope is on Easter Sunday, if not before, you'll have the opportunity and the option to be inside uh, throughout Lake Avenue Church worshiping. That, that is our, our hope. That's what we're planning for. And we are not just talking about the worship center. Our near-term plans also include the full use of our campus. Now, we still believe that we want to be safe, and that's why we're running uh, these series of pilots. But I ask you to pray. Pray for those of us who are making decisions about this. But here's a very specific prayer request. I've got all kinds of opinions uh, about where um, our state prioritizes churches and pastors. And uh, compared to other states, it's pretty low. Here's what I'm asking you to pray for. Would you pray that for our staff and our volunteers, musicians, anybody who's going to be leading up front, that God would grant them favor and access to a vaccine if they want one? 
That is going to be huge for us and our children's ministry, our student ministry, even our worship ministry. Um, but we are, uh, as clergy, that we're not really anywhere on the totem pole right now. Um, but I would ask you to pray very specifically that God would provide vaccines for our staff and for our key leaders who will be leading ministry indoors. That's going to be huge for us. Please join me in prayer. And if you have a stash of vaccine in your office, just go ahead and call me. We'll be right over. Sound good? Let me pray for us, and then let's, let's get going on the text. Father, thank you for this day, this opportunity to gather. Thank you for my friends who are in this room right now, and we do pray. We ask, God, that you would bless us as we enter your word, that it would direct us in all areas of our life, that whatever we bring into this moment that's joyful or difficult, God, would the Spirit of God, through the power of your word, touch our minds touch our hearts, and inspire us towards godly living. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Nice and loud, people inside. Amen? Yeah. Oh, now we're talking. Here we go. It was just about a year ago, it's mind-blowing to think about it, that uh, I was returning back uh, from a trip to visit some of our international staff, our missionaries, both in the country of Turkey and in Kenya. And Steve Scheidler, who's now part of our staff, that, that was a well-used trip. We were able to convince Steve to come on staff. Uh, we had a day to ourselves, Pastor Scott, Steve, and I, and we were in Istanbul and uh, visited a couple of mosques during that time. I, I'd never been in a, a large mosque like that, um, was really struck by so many things as we entered that space. Uh, spiritually, it felt heavy to me. Uh, to watch people come and to worship um, uh, uh, not the true and living God from my perspective and what, I'm, what, I, what we believe. But I was also very um, taken by the devoutness in which people would enter the mosque. In fact, outside of one of the mosques, it seemed like it went 100 yards full of spigots and basins and as men specifically would come to the mosque that would go through a cleansing ritual in their hands and their feet and their heads. And, and I was watching the routine, noticing that each person was doing the exact same things. And then when they entered the mosque, there was a particular place for particular people. Uh, the detail in which they took position to pray, um, the, the almost choreography of the moment and as I sat on the side in a place that I was allowed to, and I was intercessing and praying the whole time, something struck me. It struck me how distinct following Jesus is from everything that I'm watching. Because in that religion, as you come to worship, there's a significant amount of ritual, a significant amount of cleansing so that when you finally get into that place to pray, to be with God, that somehow you have done all the things right so that God would hear your prayers. And if you don't cleanse the right way, God doesn't hear you. If you don't follow the rules the right way, then you run the risk of being in the presence of God or desiring to connect with God and, and for those prayers to be unheard. And it seems to me that it's not just Islam, but when you look at the world religions, although the narratives will tell us that Christianity is just one of many options for people to follow God, 
Christianity stands in stark contrast because it's not about us coming to God cleaned up and, and appropriate and ritual enough that when we get into the presence of God that he might hear us if we've done all of the things. Christianity stands in contrast to world religions because it's not about what we do to be near and with God, but what God has done to be near us. And today in the text, in fact, the next many weeks are just like the last couple of weeks, that distinction of Christianity is why we are focusing on the word love in the Gospel of John, because it is the love of God in Jesus that moves near us and toward us. And in the text today, we are gonna see that the love of Jesus is both scandalous and shocking, and it's the very essence of what makes following Jesus distinct from every other religion. It's a distinct kind of love that according to Jesus and what we'll see in the text, it's a love that we are to receive, and then it is a love that we're to release back into our relationships and throughout the world. If you are newer to us or you have stumbled upon this YouTube or Facebook link and you do not follow Jesus and you don't maybe understand how Christianity is distinct, I'm grateful for the text that we're in and I pray that the Holy Spirit would speak to you and lead you in truth today. If you have a copy of the scriptures, In front of you, they will be on the screen. Would you please stand for the reading of God's word? We're in John chapter 13, verses 1 to 17. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and to go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Now the evening meal was in progress and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So, this is, these two verses are big. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, You will have no part with me. Then Lord Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him. And that was why he said not every one was clean. Now when he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for it is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. 
I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. And now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. When I turned in the title of this sermon, and what you have seen maybe advertised is that love goes low. And yesterday, the Holy Spirit inspired me and said, Jeff, let's retitle this because love gets low and love gets messy and dirty. It's exactly what keeps our faith in Jesus distinctive because the love of God gets low and it gets near the mess and near the dirt. And that's exactly what we see in this scripture. We're going to work through these 17 verses Uh, answering four questions. This is, you know, the basic where, what, who, and how. We're going to first look at where are we specifically at in the life of Jesus, the context, because this matters. What did Jesus do? Who did he do it for? And how are we to respond? My prayer is that this is a very straightforward message And my guess would be for those of us who follow Jesus for a while, we've been around the story of the foot washing And I'm praying that there would be new insight that the Lord would give you today. Uh, And again, if you're fresh into faith or curious about faith, I pray that you'll get answers, your, your questions answered. Specifically, in the first three verses, we get the answer to where are we at in Jesus's life. It tells us in verse one, it was just before the Passover festival. This is a time of holiday. This is a time of celebration. And Jesus, though, knows that while they're celebrating at this meal, that the hour had come for him to leave this world and to go back to the Father. Jesus is having a meal with his disciples, knowing full well that the next day, this is where we are, this is Monday, Thursday, the next day he's going to die. And while they're at a time of celebration, Jesus does something shocking and radical does something shocking and radical to take this normal celebration meal, recognizing it's probably, it will be the last time he has such a meal with his disciples, and he, and he spends this moment with them. Other uh, gospels will capture, it's at this very same meal, where, and we will celebrate communion today, where Jesus takes the cup and the bread and predicts his death and tells them to do this in remembrance of him. In the, in the Gospel of John, we have captured the story of the foot washing. What happens in the first 12 verses of John is the public ministry of Jesus, and then for the next many, verses, the next many chapters in John is covering just days. In fact, we're going to journey in this, these days slowly right up until Easter because the gospel writer and John took time to capture this last, what's called the passion of Jesus. So this episode, these 17 verses are significant for so many reasons, mostly so because the hour, as it says in verse 2, the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. And what does it also tell us about this context? Not only is it this meal, and it's about time for Jesus to die and return to be with the Lord, but in that context, he's really clear about what he is doing, that he loved his own who were in the world, and he loved them to the end. How did Jesus spend his last hours? Loving the people he said he loved. 
Jesus didn't spend the last hours with a, with a bucket list of things he wanted to do in this world for himself. Jesus spent his last hours doubling down on his message of love for his disciples and love for God and love to redeem the world. It says that in the evening meal was in progress and the devil had already prompted Judas. We're going to come back to that in a moment. But Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and he was returning to God. We're coming to the end. We're at this really pivotal moment in Jesus' ministry and life. And love sets the context. That's where we are. Now, what did Jesus do? I told you when we read it, these two verses are pretty important. It's verses 4 and 5. He got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. I want you to see the first detail in verse 4. He got up from the table, took off his outer robe, and wrapped a towel. Now, we don't have context for this. Jesus is the most powerful person at this meal. When he gets up from the table, what he is doing is he's, he's moving away from being the guy in charge and takes on the posture and the clothing of a servant. It's like he's, have, he's transforming in front of them. He gets up from the table. As he's sitting at the table, he's the most powerful man in the room. When he gets up from the table, takes off his outer clothing, puts on a towel, he is, re he is changing his whole posture with the group of people. He gets up from the table to get back down to their feet. This is radical. This is shocking. You hear it in Simon Peter's response. What are you doing? This does not happen. This was a, a foot washing was very normal when you were a guest in someone's home, but it wasn't the case that the hosts were the one washing feet. They had servants for that. Quite specifically, if you had enough money, you had slaves that did that. And here is Jesus, the one who has said he's the Messiah, who's taught that he is here to teach the way of God. And he gets up from the meal and changes his entire posture. That's the shocking part of what's happening. This wasn't the work, and this was not what a rabbi did. This was the work of a servant. When I uh, was a kid, I became a Christian at, at Forest Home in seventh grade. And the camp director at the time was a guy named Greg Fields. Some of you know Greg Fields. He's one of the most outstanding men in the world. He now works for the Thorsten Fund, which is a ministry we partner with. Greatfields was the camp director. I gave my life to Jesus. He was a celebrity. Fast forward many years later when I went to go work at Forest Home, Greg Fields was like a big deal at Forest Home. He was over all the ministries. And I go up to Forest Home to work for a summer, and I notice that every time I see Greg Fields, who is like vice president at Forest Home, he's walking around camp picking up trash. I've shared this story before. He would be walking and talking with anyone, and he would just pick up trash and find, its, find his way to a trash can. And then I started looking a little deeper. It seemed to me that Greg actually spent time talking with people that nobody else was talking to, like the maintenance workers, like the people on staff who don't have those cool camp positions. Greg was someone with an incredible amount of status, but because of the way he followed Jesus, he left his status to make sure that he was also a servant. 
Great example of how we can embody what we see in Jesus. When he gets up from the meal, he's removing himself from his position and power, and he is getting to the posture of a servant. That's how much he loves us and loves us to the end. Jesus got up from the table, gave up his status, and made himself a servant. And and this is so deeply consistent because this wasn't the first time Jesus removed himself from one to serve the other. He left the presence of God in heaven, came down to earth to serve us and to show us the way back to God. In this moment, Jesus does what he has done over and over and over again in his life, and he removes barriers and he positions himself as a servant. The other thing he does says that he poured out water, washed their feet, and dried them. So not only does Jesus give up his status at the table, become a servant, but notice how close Jesus gets to the mess. The messy, dirty feet. His very hands moving through the toes of the dirt in his disciples' feet. He pours out water, washes their feet, dries them. Jesus gets dirty. Jesus is not a God who says, clean yourself up to come to me. He's a God who gets near us and cleanses our dirt with his very hands. He pours out water to clean up feet. He poured out water to cleanse feet. And we know that in the next day, that pouring will continue, that he will pour out his blood to cleanse the sin of the world and the sin of you and me. Jesus gets near the mess. He gets near the dirt. He does not rule and reign at a distance from his disciples. This is distinct, not like any other religion. In that story of the mosque, you clean up so that God might be okay with you. Jesus touches the dirt. And we know that he touches the dirt, not just in their feet, but he touches the dirt in our lives, the mess of our lives, the sin of this world. And he washes us, as he did in that scene. He will do in fullness the next day on the cross. And he's been changing and cleansing and getting near dirty folk ever since. So there's, we know uh, where we are in the story, what Jesus did, and who did he do it for? And of course, he's with his disciples, but this uh, pericope gives two specific names, and they're so contrasting. We've got to look at them for a moment. So we know the 12 were there, but we know that there are two names that emerge, the Simon, Peter, and Judas. Now, Simon, Peter, you've got to love this guy. Simon, Peter is uh, blown away, right? What are you doing? This shouldn't happen. And and Jesus kind of keeps teaching him, and ultimately he says, okay, well, if you're going to clean my hand, all of it, all of it. How do I characterize Simon Peter? Simon Peter's like that certain follower of Jesus who's got things figured out. I mean, he was devout. He paid attention to what Jesus said. I think he sincerely knew that Jesus was the Messiah and believed. In Luke chapter 9, he's the one who goes, you're the Christ, you're the Messiah. He had the right answers. But he didn't understand the full context all the time. That's why I love him, because welcome to the club. But Simon Peter understands how radical and how shocking this moment is. And he is certain that he's figured some things out with God. 
He's figured some things out about Jesus. And in his certainty, he pushes back at Jesus. Now, ultimately, as Jesus responds to the certainty that Simon Peter has, notice his response is humility. It's not more certainty. Those times in our lives where we're certain we figured out Jesus... And Jesus presses into us even deeper for for the message and the truth of the gospel to make sense to us. Our response ought not be more certainty. It should be humility. And Simon Peter shows us this. So we have this certain assured disciple, Simon Peter. And we also have Judas, who is the one who betrays Jesus. And the text tells us that as Judas is sitting in this meal of love, Judas has already made plans. He's already made plans to betray Jesus. Now think about this from Jesus' perspective. we got this wild group of 12 people, and the two that highlight couldn't stand in more contrast. One's going to give him up, sell him out, hand him over to the authorities, play a pivotal part in the story of Jesus dying a day later. That person is in the room, and Jesus knows it, and Judas knows what he's going to do. And you've got Simon Peter, the certain, sure, devout, sincere follower of God. Both extremes in the room. And here's the point. Both. Both loved by God. Both loved enough by Jesus for Jesus to get up and wash both sets of feet. Both both allowed for the living God in Jesus to touch them, to cleanse them. So... I don't know about you, but being a pastor for for as long as I have been, those two characteristics at times can be the hardest folks to love. The person who betrays you. Who says to you, hey, here to support you, pray for you. And then betrays you. Or the person who presses in and goes, man, I figured this God stuff out, and I think, I think we might be missing something. The certain, the one who betrays, for me, it's not just random that they're the ones pulled out, because I think for all of us, take any context in your office and your family, the arrogant and the mean, the one who will sell you out in a heartbeat, and the one who tells you you don't know what you're saying, Those are hard folks to love. Jesus models in this moment that he's here for all. I mean, Judas had a plan to sin, and Jesus still washed his feet. Judas had a plan to turn the man over, and Jesus still got low and near the dirt. Jesus doesn't stop with washing their feet. He leverages the moment to give a concluding kind of exhortation, teaching. How are we to respond? Verse 12 through 17. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes, returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set an example that you should do as I have done for you. And very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, no messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. I mean, this is just the simplest part. What Jesus says 
I am your master, I am your teacher, I am the Messiah, but let me be clear. I've showed you what my love looks like by getting low and near the mess. I've modeled it for you. I've modeled it to you, Judas. I've modeled it to you, Simon Peter. I've modeled it to all of you. Yet, yes, I'm the Messiah. Yes, I am the Lord. But I get near you and close to you, and I am interested in cleaning you. I remove myself from the status to be near my people. It's not about my people upping their status to get near me. I get close to the mess and the dirt of my people. I don't ask them to figure things out on their own and then come to me. And Jesus says this, receive my cleansing. Receive my love through what I'm doing by washing your feet and go do likewise. Do like I have modeled for you. Now you get low. What table are you at that you need to remove yourself from to get close? What sin and dirt in this world or in your family or in your own life is so messy, so dirty that everything inside of us wants to run away from it and get it far, far away? And Jesus says, no, no, you get low and you get near the dirt and the mess because that's what I did. And then he says this stinging line that should sting some of us followers of Jesus. I think this is, this is why uh, this is hard for us to be faithful in this world at times. Because he says, once you know what you ought to do, you ought to do it. You've just received my love. I've gotten near you. I've cleansed you. Go do that likewise. And now that you know it, you need to live it. In essence, Jesus is saying, once you receive from him, we're to release that same washing to others. So very quickly, how might we apply this? I pray that the Holy Spirit's already applying this to your life. But where do you need to get low? What has God given you? I've been asking myself this question all week. What, what tables do I sit at that I need to remove myself from and be transformed into a servant? I tell you the truth, today at 2 o'clock, I got roped in to be the assistant coach for Russell's baseball team after I told the Lord and Jenny that I'm not going to do it this year. I don't want to do it. <laughs> I'm tired on Sunday. I'm getting old. But I know that at 2 o'clock, no one on that team knows I'm Pastor Jeff. They can't even recognize me behind the mask anyway. I don't even know how to coach this level of baseball. But I'm going to try to remove myself from the arrogance that says, hey, Jeff, you just preached a sermon, and there are probably thousands of people who watched it. I'm going to get on the field and sweat and serve a bunch of 8-year-olds. What tables do you need to get up from and start serving? I was challenged yesterday in preparation for this sermon. Found myself walking around going, why didn't I pick up trash after winter camp? I believe that if we can model the love that Jesus demonstrates by getting low and near the mess, there's some real hope for this world. What dirt and mess makes you so uncomfortable that it makes you want to run away? 
See, the way, of Jer- the way of Jesus is not to be repelled away from the mess of this world, but to enter the mess of this world, to get near the dirt. Struck that Jim and Karen Cavell are here today. Jim and Karen, followers of Jesus, and God has called them into Hollywood. A, a frequent target of followers of Jesus as being a messy and dirty place. And the call of God on Jim and Karen Cavell is to enter the mess and bring the name of Jesus and the cleansing of Jesus into that world. It strikes me as odd, and I need some help. Maybe you can help me. How much energy and effort is spent by followers of Jesus to remove ourselves away from mess versus entering the mess? I think there's some other application around, are you a Judas, are you a Simon Peter? If you're pretty certain, would would you allow Jesus to press in pretty further to you and maybe respond with humility? If you got a plan for sin, and that's one of the most humbling parts about being a pastor, knowing full well that people who are listening to this have a plan for sin later today or later this week, You're going to keep that relationship going or you're going to go to that website or you're going to scandal out some money or you're going to view people in a certain way? Do you have a plan to sin? And if you put up a buffer that somehow Jesus doesn't see that, would you allow Jesus to get near your mess, near your dirt? He still pursues you, even with a plan to sin. He still gets low and dirty. I'm really grateful. This has not been an easy year that we have shared together as a faith community. I know in your own personal lives, this has been incredibly difficult. But as a faith community, um, I know that there are some who a year ago were a part of Lake Avenue Church, but because of just a difference of, of belief around why we're doing certain things, are no longer part of Lake Avenue Church. I also know that there's a significant amount of new people who are identifying as being a part of Lake Avenue Church. When I think about this message of getting low and getting near the mess, it has been our hope and our intent as the people of God in your personal life and in our corporate life to humble ourselves, to get up from the things we could do because of our status and ask the question, how has God asked us to serve in this moment? It's not pretty stuff. It comes with criticism. Did you know how close those people got to that mess? Or they're hanging out with those people for what? Or they don't recognize the name of Lake Avenue Church. Love calls us to get low. Love calls us into the mess. And it's not pretty all the time. But if you, like me, have ever experienced being pursued by Jesus because of his deep, deep love for me, although it's not pretty at times, it sure is freeing. Father, thank you for this day, this opportunity to be in your word. And I pray, Father, that we would really deeply reflect what your son Jesus models in this story. And now that we've heard it, may we have the courage to live likewise. 
In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We'll sing for a moment during the song. We're going to celebrate communion together. Please go gather the elements, whatever you have. Close, we'll come back up and close our service with communion. to Jesus by serving one another with your hearts and love, seeking to build one another in love, are you willing? Whether your finger is good at something or not, God loved a willing heart. Are you willing? Are you willing? If you do, join us to make this commitment to God. Make us a servant. Make us like you, Jesus. Thank you. 
On that same evening that we've just looked at, at that same meal, Jesus took bread and he broke it. He looked at these same people and he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Take and eat. And he took a cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant, the new agreement. And he just poured out water and cleansed feet. And he says, this cup is the pouring out of my blood for the cleansing of sin. Take and drink. And he tells us as followers of Jesus to come back to this meal to remember the broken body of Jesus and the shed blood of Jesus because this is the meal of love. This is loving to the end. And so we will have this meal in a moment together as we sing this song. Please prepare, uh, lead us through eating and drinking together so that we can have this as a community. Let's continue to worship.
Brothers and sisters, the body of Christ broken for you and for me, take and eat. The blood of Christ poured out for the forgiveness of sin. The sin that we make as human beings, the sin of this world, all cleansed by the blood of Jesus. Take and drink. Join me in prayer. Father, thank you for your love for us. Thank you that you get near us, that you get near the mess of our lives, that you get near the dirt and mess of this world and pursue us and love us to the end. God, I pray now for those of us who know this to be true, that we would go and do likewise today and this week. Move us away from the tables we sit at and transform us into servants. Help us to fight everything inside of us that wants to get near or far away from mess and dirt and give us the courage to follow the example of your son, Jesus. Help us to love like you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Before we conclude this service, whenever we have communion, we take a benevolence offering. I encourage you to continue to give to that. Just to be very specific, I shared this recently, uh, over $2 million over the last few years by Lake Avenue Church has gone to keep people from becoming homeless. That's remarkable. In fact, I think we're getting a commendation or something from the county as one of the leading uh, places of preventing homelessness in LA County. This is the money that we use, benevolence, to help one another in those moments and in other moments where we just need a little bit of help. And you have given in record numbers this last year with COVID. And as we come to the end prayerfully of this quarantine season, I ask you to keep giving strong because the needs are plenty. As you head into this week, go in peace and live by faith. And may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, the fellowship and communion of the Holy Spirit help you get low and help you get near the mess. Have a wonderful week. Amen.